16. We'll go ahead and look at that. Now, last week, just to kind of bring us forward to where we are, and if you join us through Facebook, we uh, welcome you and pray the Lord blesses you today with his word. Uh, so the last week when we were in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, we saw a lot of subjects all surface. We didn't get very far last week because chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is a centuria. Just verse 1 right there, I think we spent 25 minutes on alone because what is Paul doing? He's writing a letter of commendation for Phoebe. So we see church letters. That's a church. That's a letter of recommendation. Then we start talking about Phoebe, our sister, how Paul is putting this into reference of one another as, uh, as we are children of God. We're all joint heirs. We all have Jesus Christ as our Savior and God as our Father in common. We are in the family of God. And so we are no longer just friends. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. And so we see Paul references fellow church members, fellow saved people as brother, sister. Jesus referenced uh, fellow uh, brethren as brothers and sisters, even mother. He even says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? So, and then in verse 16, we saw, which is a servant of the church, which is a centria. We dealt with that word servant, which is diokonos, which can be translated three different ways, minister, servant, and deacon. So there we see a lot of churches a day, and some churches that are Southern Baptist churches, they ordain deacons to be, or they ordain women to be deacons, and they come out with this deaconess. And so we see that, is that biblical? Last week we talked about that, and it is not biblical. Uh, here this word means that she is a servant, and they translated it right here in the, the King James Version. And how do you know when it is the office of the deacon? Well, you can tell by reading the context. It's the office of the deacon. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, when he's talking about the deacons, he's talking about how the deacons' wives are to uh, behave. And in Acts chapter 6, I believe, that we see the ordination of deacons, the apostle said, pick you out seven men. And so when it means the office of the deacon, it's very specific in the context. That's what he's talking about. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, when he's describing Phoebe, he's not, there is no context of deaconship. Actually, it, uh, it's even translated, it said Jesus was a minister unto the circumcision. That word minister is diokonos. So does that mean that Jesus was a deacon? Well, we know Jesus wasn't an official church deacon, but at the same words used there as minister. So how do we define that word? Well, we have to define it by its area around it as far as what, it's, what it means. So, but not to say that women do not have a very, very important role within the church. And Paul is highly regarding Phoebe. And so, I mean, not to read, teach last week's lesson, but Paul regards re, uh, her uh, so highly in the work that the women do 
of the church. And uh, even that in verse 2, when it says, for she hath been a secure of many and of myself also, that word secure is patron. What that word patron is, is uh, you can think of she was an executive, almost an executive assistant. She was a coordinator. And so she was not just a coordinator of things that Paul needs, to, that Paul, that, you know, they were at the fingertips of Paul. She was someone who brought it to the fingertips of that if Paul needed it. She was also someone who served the church in the exact same way. She thought of what was needed before it was needed, and she brought it to the fingertips of, of them. And that is the same thing with a coordinator. And I brought this up. Uh, one of the things about Marianna's wedding, she didn't have a coordinator. And so it was her that was having to figure out, okay, uh, on at this time, these people need to be here. And so a coordinator helps not only with scheduling, with organization, but also with do they have everything that they need to do what they need to do? So Phoebe was this way. Paul praises her. Paul and all of the women. And so a lot of people say, well, Paul just had a negative outlook towards women. But that's not true. Romans chapter 16 verifies that Paul did not have a negative outlook towards women. And so we see him, him even greet Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3. Oh, these... These were great friends of Paul. And even to the point in verse 4 where he says that they would have laid, who, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but unto all the churches of the Gentiles. This, this goes beyond a friendship, doesn't it? This goes beyond an acquaintance, that these were dear, dear friends. And all of us should be dear dear friends to each other. I mean, we should be willing to lay down our own life for the brethren. And we're going to talk about this here in a minute because this is the thrust of what we are, hopefully we'll get through verse 5 through verse 16 this morning. So this is still the greetings. And in verse 5, he says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved, Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. I want to talk about that word beloved. Now, you have heard me, I, I imagine, say this many times. I love the word beloved. Beloved is the adjective. So, adjective describes a noun. So, an adjective describes you. I can say, oh, he's beloved. That is someone who is loved. Now, what kind of love is used here? Agape. The Greek word is agapetos. In the adjective, when it's beloved, you are agape loved. So he says of Epinetus in verse 5, he is well beloved, the Epinetus. Now, Paul, I mean, and in the, the New Testament, that word Beloved, or agapetos, is used 112 times. You will see the word beloved used so many times to make reference to each other, to one another. I mean, not just saints. We are saints, but you're beloved. You're not just beloved of God, but you're beloved of us. You're beloved of each other. And that is 
what Paul is referencing. He, I mean, yes, the fellow saints are all loved of the Lord, but we should also love one another. This is the charge that we are to love one another. We're getting ready to talk about this here in a, in a second, I promise. But in 1 John, when he's talking about loving one another, then he's talking about agape love. He's not talking about the other categories of love, which real briefly I want to bring up. There's four in that time in the New Testament, in that time in the Greek language, there were four words that were used to describe love. Now, two of those words or we don't see being used in the Bible. One of them is eros. Now, eros or eros means romantic love. Uh, E-R-O-S. It's where we get the word erotica. It means romantic, physical love. Um, that word is not found in the pages of the Bible. That word, eros. Uh, that is a word that is expressed as a love that one has in marriage. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, not the exact word, but the gist of the word. That type of love is used in the Song of Solomon. Also uses this type of love. Now, when, uh, and you know, we don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul is saying to avoid fornication, that word pornea, avoid uh, the sin that is accompanied with this type of love outside of marriage. Outside of marriage, this eros is sin. Eros is sin outside of marriage. But it's a blessing of God inside of marriage. And uh, all things are blessed of God. So, um, the other types of love, now this one is mentioned in the Word of God, it's philos or phileo. You'll hear me say phileo. This word is commonly used of a family relationship. It's a love, it's a, it's a love of kindredship, of friendship, of family. Matthew 10, uh, it is used for the love of the father and the mother or of a son and a daughter. Uh, phileo is used of Jesus' love of Nazareth or Lazarus, and uh, John, his disciple. So we see that this kind of love is like the brotherly love, Philadelphia. So this is phileo love. Now there's agape. Now within, within phileo love, there's another third love. It's called storge, but it's just, it's just kind of a description of that kind of love. Storge goes inside. So there are four Greek words, but there's really only three that when we think of love that we think of eros or eros, which is not used in the Bible, that's romantic, physical love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. It is a love of your family, a love of your mother, your daughter, your, your father, Jesus's love toward Lazarus. And then there's agape love. Agape love, and when it's translated agape, it is typically, or typically defined as self-sacrificing love. It is a deep concern for the affairs of others, ultimately to the cost of yourself. So that is agape love. Now, only God's people have agape love. There's only, because agape love does not deal with emotions. It deals with your will. 
It deals with the will which God has given you. The other types of love, now think about this. Eros love only thinks of self. Romantic love, uh, you could say it's lust outside of marriage, but it's desire within marriage. That is only seeking self, that type of love. Uh, phileo uh, seeks the love of others, but agape seeks the concern of others, so much so that you would be willing to sacrifice something that you have in order that they could be fulfilled. This is the agape love is the type of love God showed to us in bringing Jesus Christ, the die on the cross. This love uh, is the love that Jesus commands us to show toward one another and towards our enemies. That's something. Agape love is what Jesus has commanded us to show towards our enemies. Loving our enemies is not natural, but neither is agape love. Agape love is God-given. And that's what he says in 1 John 3, 4. Uh, you know you have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, is all agape love. If you don't have that agape love, you don't have the love of God in you. And so it's not a natural love. It is a love that you have that Jesus has commanded us to have. Um, now, the husband and the wife has elements of all three loves. They have eros, they have philadelphos, or they have phileo, and they have agape. It's, it is not good if a married couple only has eros, because pretty soon that passion and everything is going to, as you get older, it's going to become less and less. And so what we do as a married, we, we grow into phileo love, and we grow into agape love uh, for our husband or our wife. Um, now, when we're young, there definitely seems lopsided which types of love we have, but as we get older in that relationship, it balances. So all three types of love are seen in marriage. So as we, as we move on, I, I really wanted to bring out this love because agapetos is beloved. It's the adjective. You are agape loved. That's who you are. It's describing you. Um, and that's what an adjective does, is it describes who you are. Um, okay, so look at verse 6, and hopefully we can, yep, we're looking good. We're looking good for time. All right, so greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. And that's not Mary, the mother of God, that is a saint there at Rome. Now remember that he, these people he's referencing to salute are, are in Rome. Salute Andricus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, when he says my kinsmen, he means my kinsmen according to the flesh. Uh, uh, you know, Israel, uh, Israelites, fellow Israel, fellow Hebrews. It could be even Benjamites, uh, but we do know at least it's Israel. And fellow prisoners, we know of two times that, that Paul was imprisoned. He was imprisoned in Philippi, and he was imprisoned in Rome. So, but we do know, uh, just from reading the context, that Paul was probably in prison more than just two times. Uh, in First Corinth or Second Corinthians, he says that he was frequently imprisoned. So, either these people, uh, Andricus and Junia, 
uh, were either with him in Philippi or could have been with him in Rome. Uh, but well, this is before Rome. He wrote this before that he, he went to Rome a prisoner. So it could have been any other time um, that he was there. So uh, when he talks about among the apostles who also were in Christ before me, they were just they were saved that profession of faith before Paul did. Greet Amphilus, my beloved in the Lord, there's our beloved. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Now Stachus is uh, believed to be uh, a pastor, one of the pastors there at Rome, and. Verse 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. And that, it, that word means accepted. He's been accepted in Christ. He's been justified. He's been forgiven. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, here is another example of this familial relationship that we have towards one another. I don't believe this is talking literally. Rufus's mother is not Paul's mother. Paul's mother, probably still in Tarsus. That's where Paul is from, not in Rome. They're very far distance apart, but I believe in the Lord. He has been, and last week we saw, he says in the Lord or in Christ 11 times in 10 verses. He just in the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ, in Christ. That's why a lot of times I'll say, I love you in the Lord. You're my brother in the Lord. I, I, you're my sister in the Lord because we're family and we are to have that relationship to each other. It's not to be fake uh, and actually uh, he gives a warning against that fakeness here in a minute. But his mother and mine, I believe, is really referencing as far as his mother, his kinship in the Lord. So we see the same thing that Jesus does. Verse 14, salute Asyncritus, uh, Phlegon, Hermas, Paterbrus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia, Nereus and his sister in Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So this term, holy kiss, is a term of endearment. And that's what I was saying, that we are going to see this, the genuine, uh, the authenticity of our love towards one another. Now, the holy kiss is a very cultural thing. And what that means is that we greet each other, we embrace each other from a genuine heart. Not out of fakeness, but uh, an authentic greeting towards one another. I'm praying for you. I, I love you. I, you're my, I, you've been on my mind. And, you know, think about people that you love. Don't you want to know if they need anything? Don't, don't you want to know it, how their day, you know, is, is there anything you need? Is, is anything going on that, that you need? I know that I'm always saying that to my, my kids uh, if they're not telling me first. <laughs> but, you know, it's because I love them. And so we are to love one another. And we're all to have each other's uh, welfare of mind. 
So this holy kiss is a culturally relevant thing. What it means is the spirit behind it, it's a Christian salutation, and it should not just be a mere expression of empty words, but what should spring from real love, true friendship, and be without dissimulation, hearty and sincere. It does not mean that we go around kissing each other, does it? So there are aspects that are cultural that we need to understand. Uh, it says to greet each other with a holy kiss. Uh, sometimes I like to hug, and it, it's an expression. Uh, some people aren't huggers. That's fine. I wasn't a hugger until, uh, hopefully I don't get in trouble with Pastor Tony, but when Tony Harold came to Bethel, he hugged everybody. He didn't care if you wanted hugged or not. He he just had a love, a heart of love and compassion, and it just, he had a hug. He had, you know, uh, so it, after 10, 15 years, it kind of grew on you. Okay, this is how, this is how we, 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 we talk, but it, it, nobody kissed each other. It says it in verse 16, to greet each other with the Holy Kiss. We don't do that. No, because we understand it's a cultural thing. I, I think we would all do well to understand some things are cultural. I, I, and some people take things when they should take things literally, they take it symbolically, and some people take things symbolically when they take, should take things literally. It's just the balance of the Word of God. Uh, it's the balance that we want to be honest with the Word of God. But we need to move on. If we're going to get to verse 25, that's where I want to get, uh, or at least get to verse 24. So now, in 17 through 20, we see a warning. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Wow. Doesn't that just seem out of the blue? Just where'd that come from? Many times when Paul gives his warnings of false teachers, false co-workers. Now, now remember, before, weren't we just having a great time in this, this fellowship? <laughs> In these verses of how we all have each other and we love each other and we're this big family and how much love should we be pouring out. And then all of a sudden, verse 17 says, be on the lookout. Because if you think about it, if you love somebody that much, their safety comes to mind, doesn't it? That's what's happening. Paul wants them to be safe. And what could disrupt the church? What could disrupt the welfare? What could disrupt the unity, the joy, the love which we have are people who want to cause division. They want to cause disruption. And this word here, when it says in verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions, is actually dissension. Dissension. Dissension is when you have a disagreement that leads to discord. Those who cause disagreements that ultimately will lead to discord within the body. So first, this same word is used, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. 
He says, for ye are not, uh, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, or that same word, dissension, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So Paul couldn't speak spiritual things to them because they were still carnal. They were still thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about the whole. But what are we told here about the brethren who cause dissension or mark them which cause the dissension? We are said, and offenses contrary to the dark, the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. It doesn't say confront them. It says avoid them. Just avoid them. Um, and we are told that we're not to oppose them, but to avoid them. At this point, it's not talking about heresy. Now, with heresy, that is something you just don't ignore and just, uh, just you know, let it. Don't play the game. Don't call. Don't join into the bickering and the arguments. Don't join into the division. Don't join into the gossip. Don't join into things that will cause division. He loves them so much, he knows this will hurt them. You've got to stop it. Because if you get enough people, you're going to have disunity. You're going to have disharmony. And it is sad, isn't it? that these aren't attacks from Satan on the outside. This isn't, you know, I often talk about that, um, how it takes a common enemy for the United States to, to get together on a common goal. Isn't that, don't you find that to be true, that it's when in war, the United States is the most united? Or against terrorism, the United States is the most united? Well, if we were getting outside attacks from Satan, you better believe the church would be united. But it's when Satan just leaves us alone, people get bored, and then they start looking around, they start looking at each other, trying to figure out ways to cause division. That should not be so. But avoid. Avoid those things. But it's sad because Satan does attack, and he attacks us all because we all have the flesh. <laughs> we all have the temptations of the flesh. We have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three ways that Satan attacks us in our self. Dissensions are disagreements that lead to discord. They lead to bigger issues. Um, look at with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's just over one book. Actually, probably just a few pages for you. Depends on how big your lettering is. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to get done. Um, I want us to look at some of the ways Paul's, now when we come to church discipline, when we come to, now remember, Paul's not saying, he's saying to avoid these people, just don't participate. Don't participate in what they're wanting to do. That's what he's saying. When do you confront an issue? And here's what Paul says, when you find this in your church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So he's writing to the church. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out 
of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer. A railer is someone who just abusively accuses people with their mouth. Or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. What that means is the Lord's Supper. And how do we not eat with a fellow church member? That's through church discipline. When somebody's going under church, and discipline is always for the good of our brother or sister. We have to remember that. It's not a punishment. It's an action of correction. We want to correct our dear brother and sister because we love them. And the best thing for them is to get stung a little bit uh, by that whipping, you know? I mean, uh, you all, I'm pretty sure all of y'all look like, I mean, you're probably whipped in your generation. I know I was. Um, some say not enough. I don't know. But uh, verse 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. We see the conditions that Paul gives that we are to exercise church discipline. These are those who are fornicators, covetous, idolaters, railers, drunkards, extortioners. Now, he also, in Titus chapter 3, verse 6, he brings up heretics. In Titus 3, he says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies. He's talking to Titus as a pastor. What is a pastor supposed to do? Avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. So Paul is charging Titus not to get caught up into conversations that does not lead to edification. It just leads to strife. It just leads, there's no winning this conversation. Uh, so that, but in, if it's a heretic, if it's somebody, as Paul said, even an angel comes and trying to deliver a gospel different than what I have delivered, let them be an anthem. Let them be a curse. Let them be put out. All right. So I am so sorry. I, I probably went too quickly over that, uh, but I am trying to get to verse 24. Um, tell you what I might do. If you all do have access to the website, uh, I do have a little kind of uh, meditation area uh, uh, on the website that I'm doing for Romans. You can go there and I'll put some more thoughts down. Verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And you can see that in Titus. Paul's talking to Titus about that. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I love this. Keep your testimony by being wise as to what can bring shame to the church. Please think about that. Not so much what could offend me, but what could offend the church. What could offend the testimony of the church? Our ultimate goal is to be a lighthouse. How pleased, how much more pleased would God be with you if you were to take the lesser seat, the lower seat, 
that you were to prefer someone else over you, even if they bragged about it and it boiled your skin. But you know, and God knows what you're doing is spiritually mature and it's for the good of the testimony of the church. How much more? I mean, what a blessing that is. I mean, even if you, that is the type that we're talking about. This, this simple testimony, your testimony should be of wisdom as to what, avoid things that can bring shame to the church. What can bring shame to the church? Dissension. Causing an argument that could cause division in the church. All right, so verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Boy, we, we, we fight a spiritual battle. None of what we read here is going to be easy. We, we fight the principalities of the air, and we fight a spiritual battle. It takes a lot to take the lesser seed. It takes a lot because it is a humility of faith, and we are surrendering the pride for the better of our brother and sister. That's agape love, isn't it? There's a self-sacrifice in agape love. Uh, verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sopater, and Sospater, and kinsmen salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. We know Paul wrote it. Tertius is an amanuensis. What that means is someone who scribed what Paul had said. So some people think that's why Paul may have had bad eyesight. Uh, sometimes Paul will write with his own hand, but he'll tell us when he does that. Verse 23, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church saluteth you, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. What a beautiful day you've given us. Father, may we rejoice and be glad. Father, today, may we just seek to honor you, praise you, bring you glory. May we be pleasing to you. Father, teach us, shape us, mold us, Father, into who you want us to be. Father, for not only is that pleasing, but we know that's joy. That is peace in our hearts. That's contentment. And that is faith. And Father, we, we love you for the lessons you give us. Father, may, may we be wise and understanding when you are teaching us a lesson. May we be humble to learn and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.